Hi, this is Schuler, and I am going to be sharing with you um, my presentation for the 7th Annual STEM Forum and Expo that's going to be in Philadelphia this Thursday. Sometimes people can't get to these big expos. This is my very first uh, speaking engagement, and so I wanted to share what I had planned. So I'm going to just start from the top and uh, go through my notes. So I am Michelle Schuler, and I'm an eighth grade science teacher from Anne Arundel County, Maryland. I possess a Master of Arts in Leadership and Teaching with a specialty in STEM from Notre Dame, Maryland University. I'm currently a PhD candidate at the same institution where I'm working toward a philosophy in education for changing populations. My personal goal in the classroom is to eliminate the achievement gap through STEM pedagogy. Education populations are all over the charts these days. My school population includes more than 50% receiving uh, LEP services, 40% farms, and 35% special ed. Stop me if this sounds familiar. In the fall of 2017, I had a breakthrough in my teaching, which set my hair on fire and is why I am giving this presentation. I was very uh, amazed at a course that was influential in my discovery, understanding, and implementation that changed the way that I work in my classroom with my bilingual students. I'm hoping that I can help all of you to expand your STEM pedagogy to include increasing engagement among your emergent bilingual students. I have to assume that by the virtue of your presence, you have non-English speaking students in your classroom and you desire to help them succeed. Over the next 60 minutes or less, I hope to condense what I have learned into meaningful information for those of you who are trying to meet the needs of your emerging bilingual population. I hope that I can break down the barriers to understanding these students and help you to provide engaging instruction to lead these students to success, even small ones. I pulled information from multiple sources and hopefully I've put this together for you in a way that is easy to digest. And honestly, it's a monumental topic. Our goals for this are to explain the basics of language acquisition, the importance of family language to your students and their identity, why we care about engaging these kids, what's better, bilingual or biliterate, Bix versus CALP, the need to know, why STEM pedagogical practices are best for our emerging bilinguals, and what does STEM look like in other content areas. The proof is in the pudding. Every teacher is a language teacher, but not every teacher is an English teacher. As general educators, our content is our vehicle for delivery of language to all students. However, let's pause for a moment and review some basic principles about language acquisition. The brain is hardwired for language, and most of us have forgotten that or never considered it. <coughs> Anyone with connections to small children in a family can recall a new baby learning to talk. From the babbles to simple to complex and complete sentences, this happens at a relatively short period of time considering the total life of a person and number of syllables that they will utter. Parents of infants and toddlers do not formally instruct their children. Acquisition of language is innate, and by the age of four, most children have the language basics including grammar and an extensive vocabulary. While there are disparities of language acquisition among children based on socioeconomic status, K-12 
consider your elementary and middle school ESOL kids who are not only dealing with language barriers, but perhaps a host of social, cultural issues and poverty. The deck, you will say, is stacked against them. In order to be successful in school, they need to learn a new language and navigate the social and cultural norms. The number of students entering U.S. classrooms who are not native English speakers is on the rise. Most experts agree that it takes five to seven years to acquire academic English, language needed to succeed academically and professionally. Students may acquire social language, the language used on the playground or in the cafeteria, much more rapidly, but there is frequently a gap between social and academic English. In addition, newcomer, newcomer bilingual students may go through what is called a silent period in which they say very little but listen carefully to everything happening around them. Even though they're not speaking during this period, they're still an important stage of language development. You cannot ignore those kids in the silent period. While negotiating with behavior issues and 20 other things happening, it's easy to let these kids slip through the cracks. The easiest and surefire way to engage with these rookie bilingual kids is simple. Greet them in their native language every single day. I had a female student last year who spoke Urdu and I made her teach me to say good morning. And every day I tried and was a miserable failure, but she smiled and laughed and was patient and we tried again. Another student transferred in mid-year and spoke Portuguese. I used Google Translate to write welcome in Portuguese on the pile of materials that I had prepared and learned to say Bonjia. I was a lot like Renee Zellweger and Jerry Maguire. I had them at hello. Long-term English language learners are students who have been in the U.S. schools for more than six years without attaining academic language profici proficiency. It is estimated that 60% of ELLs in grades 6 to 12 are long-term English language learners. In 2002, 42% of teachers had emergent bilinguals Yet only 12.5% received more than eight hours of professional development specific to emergent bilinguals. State policies are all over the place. Currently, Maryland is among the top 25 states with the largest proportions of emergent bilingual students in the U.S. Most general educators have at least one emergent bilingual in their classroom, but only 29.5% of those teachers have opportunities for professional development in working with emergent bilinguals, according to a 2008 study. Only 20 states require that new teachers even receive preparation for working with emergent bilinguals. Is being a good teacher good enough? As general educators are responsible for teaching every student every day, while our emergent bilinguals are absorbing English, they are still required, except for our lowest level ones, to take local, state, and national standardized tests. Keep an eye on our newcomers. Many non-English speaking students have behaviors that might be opposite to our Western norms. Many of us are operating at a surface cultural level. We know a holiday or maybe a song or two, but we need to be operating on a deeper cultural understanding if there is any hope of beating the stats that are listed. Figure out cultural behaviors, values, gender roles, family roles and norms, and expected behaviors. Statistically speaking, the percentage of public school students in the United States who are English language learners was higher in the fall of 2015 
9.5% or 4.8 million students than in the fall of 2000, 8.1% or 3.8 million students. In the fall of 2015, the percentage of public school students who were ELLs ranged from 1% in West Virginia to 21% in California. Lily Wong Fillmore published an article called Loss of Family Language, and it's terribly relevant to our emergent bilingual students, and ultimately is the best it is in the best interest of the student to preserve their home languages. While some ELLs are immigrants and newcomers to our country, the majority of these students enrolled in U.S. schools are born in the United States, and as such, they are American citizens. 85% of pre-K to 5th grade ELL students and 62% of our 6th to 12th grade ELL students are born in the United States. Preservation of the home language is just as important to the social, emotional, and academic well-being of the student as learning English. It is important to encourage use of home languages and English in the academic setting in school, but they are not mutually exclusive. For example, I have students who have African tribal languages still being spoken at home. The students are reluctant to learn or use their home language in school. I'm constantly nagging them to teach me a word or two. The largest segment of my emergent bilingual population is Spanish-speaking, and while I try to learn, I have never mastered a second language. My Spanish-speaking students are generally talking about a thousand miles an hour in the hallway but newcomers especially get quiet when they get to class. To engage my level one and level two students, I ask students who are able to translate. I require the level ones to speak in their native language while the level two translates to English for the gringo me. Did I say that I speak zero English? So the best thing is to have students speaking, writing, presenting in both languages, no matter what the language is. All students benefit, but the newcomers are much more attentive and giving an actual effort when they are able to access the content in their home language. Bix versus Calp. The easiest way to recall the difference between them, Bix is the language of the playground and hallways. It's our basic interpersonal communication skills. Calp is the language of the classroom and academia. This is cognitive academic language proficiency. CALP is where our students struggle. CALP encompasses analysis, synthesis, evaluation, and it is in BICS where they can have knowledge comprehension and application. ELL's needs, strengths, and challenges can vary dramatically even within the same classroom or among students from the same country. Having an effective way to evaluate the students' needs is crucial to helping students succeed. Some of our strengths for these students might include strong literacy skills in their native language. If that's the case, give them more. Academic skills and content area knowledge developed in their native language. Strong family support and commitment to the children's future strong interest in education, and high levels of personal responsibility, resilience, resourcefulness, and commitment to success. Challenges may include little or no formal schooling or gaps. This is pretty common, especially in high urban schools. High levels of mobility, moving between schools, happens a lot, especially in populations where 
there are migrant workers. Limited practice developing and using academic language. Because they're popping around so much, they don't use academic vocabulary very often. Personal responsibilities that occupy hours during or outside of school, such as caring for siblings, working on one or more jobs, and translating for families. When possible, please don't ask students to translate. Being bilingual is not enough. Students must move toward biliteracy. Students who have two verbal languages should learn to read and write in both. Many students are bilingual, however, they have not mastered literacy skills in language one or in language two. Most emergent bilingual students are not making the transition to academic English quickly enough, and they remain stuck in academically segregated programs where they fall behind in basic subjects. Only 63% of English language learners will graduate from high school compared with the overall national rate of 82%. We have the power to change the statistic with meaningful STEM pedagogy practices. Kane and Kane created 10 principles for brain-based learning. Their principle number 10 says that the brain remembers best what is embedded in spatial memory. Transition from everyday familiar contact concrete things to subject-specific unfamiliar abstract ideas. Linking students' real-world experiences to educational experiences. Moving from specialized language of written text instead of written text themselves. Integrating vocabulary organically using context clues, graphic organizers, and their first language. Explicitly scaffolding and using explanatory devices. Graphic organizers are a huge win in any classroom. Allowing students to process information individually, in pairs, and in small groups. However, I do use caution here because there is a natural tendency for, especially middle schoolers, to gravitate towards their friends, and sometimes that's not the best situation. Apply information to a new task, writing. I'll often allow students to write in their native language and then translate into English. Whenever we add details, we are helping them to remember. When they can make associations with other information, we are building their CALP. STEM pedagogy works for emerging bilinguals. It's just good for the brain. When we keep our instruction at comprehensible input, these are slightly undemanding. So for example, following directions, face-to-face -face conversations, um, buying lunches at school, uh, participating in music and art. When we can give them some simple instructions written or ask them to have a conversation without any visual clues, then we are working in a way that helps them to develop the skills that they need for CALP. These are the things that are cognitively demanding. When we use our STEM pedagogy practices to demonstrate or give students opportunities to explore and experiment, 
when we give them audio-visual assisted lessons, when we are giving them projects and activities, making models, charts, graphs, all of these help to build their vocabulary and their academic vocabulary specifically. Most general educators can recall Vygotsky's zone of proximal development theory from undergraduate education classes. While some scholars are crash and bashing, I found that Krashen's hypothesis, input hypothesis, to be awesome in practice and is related loosely to something that I'm already utilizing as a STEM pedagogy specialist in the zone of proximal development. The input hypothesis is Krashen's attempt to explain how the learner acquires a second language, how second language acquisition takes place. The input hypothesis is only concerned with acquisition, not learning. According to his hypothesis, the learner improves and progresses when he or she receives second language input that is one step beyond their current stage of linguistic competence. So. I say use this input hypothesis frequently in the classroom. It helps to extend that comprehensible input. The World Language Map handout, which I am providing at the conference, is a great tool when learning about what your emerging biliterate students can and cannot do. Some of the suggestions are intuitive for a master teacher once the document is read or kept as a reference. However, novice teachers benefit from using the map as a tool to differentiate instruction. Good STEM pedagogy will help non-English speakers to learn in the cognitively demanding but context-rich quadrant because STEM centers on experiences, exploration, and collaboration. This is an opportunity for every student to access content. Most of the people attending this conference are master STEM educators or working towards mastery STEM teachers and pedagogy specialists, and they can put STEM into any content area. STEM is not exclusive to science, technology, or math, and for goodness sake, it's not tech ed, even though many districts like to have STEM class so they can claim to be teaching STEM, but that's a different soapbox. The STEM 5E lesson plan units are accessible to all teachers in all contents and when practiced leads to meaningful, contextual, cognitively rich and demanding instruction for our emerging bilingual populations. If you are using YouTube, for example, are you using subtitles? And if you really wanna get a little crazy, show the video in another language with English subtitles it's engaging for your bilingual students and challenges your native English speakers. I like to call it foreign, Fil foreign Film Festival Day. Find grade level readings or down a few Lexile levels in a native language for non-English speakers. There's a plethora of resources online. There's an ongoing debate about the literacy level of parents and students who are non-English speakers. However, the goal here is biliteracy, and chances are that the family has some basic elementary decoding skills in their home language. If you have decoding skills in your home language, you can decode in your home language at a higher level. 
Ultimately, if you can't find it online, have a bilingual student read the passage out loud for non-native speakers and record it if you can. I have included a unit handout for English Language Arts Grade 7 Novel Study STEM Lesson Girls, Drums, Girls, and Dangerous Pie. This was a great unit that I used um, to integrate um, STEM pedagogy. We learned about cancer cells and made personal connections to the story. I've also used um, the book Hoot in my classroom. I've used Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in my classroom with my grade seven to integrate um, body systems into chemistry. And I use timelines and mapping quite a bit. Content versus language objectives. We're all using a content, content objective every day. Content objectives identify the content areas, skills the student should know and be able to do, and instruction is organized around them. A language objective should also be included. It identifies language skills or tasks that would best enable students to satisfy the content objective. It tells how the students will learn and or demonstrate their mastery of a lesson by reading, speaking, writing, or listening. This is the first and easiest thing to implement in your classroom immediately. Include a language objective every day. Don't forget that the difference between the two is that students are able to identify what they're supposed to be doing. Non-English speakers should be empowered to use academic vocabulary in both languages all of the time. I always tell my students that they can take notes in any language that they want, but I'm only able to read and write in English. If they could dumb it down for me, that would be great. Bonus. If you have special education children in your room, they will also benefit from this language goal as well. In fact, good STEM pedagogy is just good for the brain, period. Good content and language goals are good for the brain, period. My personal data. In the fall of 2017, after including language goals and having students using both L1, language one, and their second language in the classroom for writing, speaking, and reading. And of course, I used a 5e lesson plan all the time. The growth in one quarter was remarkable. The data tells the story. I had 27 non-English speaking students. 10 of those were exempt from testing for being newcomers. So 17 were still left and required to take our county's assessment. In the first quarter, the average score for all of my second language learners was 39%. 13 achieved below threshold, three at the threshold level, which was a 60%, and one scored at a mastery level, 70% or higher. In the second quarter, the average score for my English speaking population was 45%. That's a positive six-point swing. Eight students moved out of the below 50% threshold, and a student moved into proficiency, so I had two. 
This growth is one marking period. Fun fact, the county average for ESOL students who took this assessment was 67%. When the results were broken down by standard, for ESOL students who took the quarterly, they outscored or outperformed the county. My whole student population performed just under the county average by about 14 points. However, if you look at the ELLs in the class, they outperformed the county. They knocked it out of the park. So, every language, every teacher is a language teacher. Have I covered the basics of language acquisition, the importance of family language for your students and their identity? Have I established why we care about these kids? Have we talked about the what's better, bilingual or biliterate? Do you have a basic understanding of the difference between Bix and CALP? Have I established why STEM pedagogical practices are best for our emerging bilinguals? Have I given you an idea of what STEM looks like in other content areas? And have I given you enough evidence in data to prove that it works? Have we met these objectives? Hopefully you're feeling more confident than when we started. Hopefully you understand your role at being a language teacher. If you have a better understanding of your emergent bilingual students, I'm really excited about that. I'm hopeful that you have some ideas or maybe you already have some strategies in place that you can use more effectively in your classroom. I have an article published at AMLE. It is online. And as a participant in most professional developments, I know that after our presentation ends, there's a handful of questions or comments that I could have asked. Please follow me on social media at hashtag Science. I would love to get some feedback as well. Is there something that you wanted to know specifically that I did not talk about? And if so, please let me know so that I can continue to improve my information and communication. This has been a pleasure. And I'm looking forward to Thursday in Philly.